0: Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets, what's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee.
1: Hello and welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears with me, Dominic Frisbee. A reminder that shows are not uploaded on a regular basis, so if you want to keep up to date, you're best off subscribing to the show uh, either by email or by one of the RSS feeds that you can find on the homepage. In today's program, it's the summer, I'm on holiday, so I'm handing over the presenting of the show to our guest host, who is old favorite, Michael Hampton.
2: Good morning and welcome to the GEI Experts panel call. This morning, I'm with Dave Skarika, who's in the Bahamas, and Eric Townsend, who's in Hong Kong. And we're going to be talking about the state of the markets, what's ahead in the weeks and days, months to come. First of all, a brief introduction. Dave is a uh, newsletter writer and author and private investor based in Bahamas. And Eric is a private investor in Hong Kong. This call is being recorded Monday morning, Hong Kong time, and Sunday night, Bahamas time and we had some very interesting news on Friday which was some unemployment figures that's had a fairly interesting impact on the market the stock market dropped fairly sharply on Friday and then bounced back recovering most of the losses so that's the context in which this conversation is happening I'd like to kick this off with Eric in Hong Kong who can perhaps comment a bit on those numbers and what he thinks they mean for the markets.
1: Okay, well, let's start with the data, Michael. What we saw on Friday was a non-farm payroll report. Expectations were that it would show about 65,000 jobs lost from the economy. And the reason the expectation was negative was because of the census workers being let go by the government. It came in at 131,000 jobs lost, which is about twice as many as expected. But it turns out that that number even is more rosy than the real data because if you dig into it and look beyond the adjustments that were made to prior months, the real number is about 153,000 jobs uh, more than expectations were lost from the economy. So we're really seeing some very strongly negative payroll data, and this is on the back of something like 30 different macro data points. That came out in the month of July, of which 29 were negative. So we're really seeing uh, strong signs from a macro standpoint that the economy is rolling over. Uh, oil was moving roughly in line with equities during most of the day on Friday. Surprisingly, the uh, euro-US dollar uh, cross was way up, with the euro up to about 132, suggesting the possibility of some uh, government or central bank intervention. My perspective on all this is I'm very much expecting the market to roll over and to see a very large move to the downside. However, the market's being held up by both hopes of quantitative easing, version 2 being introduced, and also some microeconomic uh, numbers that have been fairly positive re- recently, notably uh, earnings reports that have come out in the last week or two. So the big question in my mind is do we see another push up before the turn way down or is this it, and we're headed down from here? I think it's anybody's guess, but I'm starting to put my shorts on. I'm looking to around 11:30 or so on the S&P as an entry to uh, add to my shorts.
2: Thanks for that, Eric. Uh, Dave, do you want to add anything before I comment?
3: I'm actually uh, probably not as bearish either of you guys, and I think m- my reasoning for a lot of my, my like the way I trade is I think that one thing that people really underestimate. Is sentiment, and I watch. You know, there's a lot of the typical sentiment indicators like in the American Association of Individual Investors and um, and Investors Intelligence. These are polls of like, you know, so-called professionals. And uh, a few weeks ago, uh, an indicator I watched that got really bullish was something called right before the rally was something called the Ridex ratio. Is it's basically an inflow outflow uh, of a group of funds that do. High, you know, I like have bear and bull funds, and basically, long story short, there was a lot of inflows into bear funds at that time. So the one thing I'm seeing is kind of the pervariable, I guess you'd call, wall of worry, and that if you look at investors' intelligence just a couple weeks ago, the bear reading on that was the highest since April of 2009 was, of course, the start of the rally. So I'm not extremely bullish either. I'm kind of in, in the cat, a cast, a guy who's a, a, an analyst in the States, who, by the way, got bearish in 2007 and bullish in 2009, you think that we're more in a trading range between about a thousand on the downside of the S&P and 1150 1200 on the upside. And, and that's where I think more than likely for the next few months where we are. Um and, and, and part of that is sentiment that there's so many people concentrated on economic numbers and, and why the market should go down. I just see too many bears. In terms of like uh, you know, for us to get like a huge, huge move to the downside, so I'm more in the neutral camp on the stock market, but where I'm really positive is I'm actually quite positive on commodities. I think after a short-term pullback over the next few weeks here in commodities, we might continue this this leg higher that we've seen in for, for over the last few weeks. Well,
2: that's that, well, that's that's something we're going to be talking about in the second segment of this. Uh discussion is, is gold and commodity prices. Um, but for right now, I'd just like to ask you on those sentiment indicators because, you know, I do agree with you. Those did, did go very negative um, to a, a bearish extreme, which typically leads to a rally. And I just wonder whether the numbers that are coming out in the last few days might be back to neutral again.
3: Oh, yeah, yeah. We, we went from extremely bearish to neutral. But I think what people have to understand about sentiment is like this you know which is an indication of kind of technical sentiment towards the market that what people have to realize is you don't usually just stay at those negative sentiment numbers after you have a rally in the market you usually do go back to neutral and then you can actually remain overbought for quite a while like we saw a lot of you know bullish sentiment from last summer after the July low you know late and the summer right through the rally top in April, So it's not just because sentiment turns all of a sudden that means you have to see a drop in the markets. What, what I'm basing this on is that the type of sentiment that we saw in the RideX X, and a couple of these sentiment indicators are actually very similar to a lot of the, the, the bearish readings you see in your market bottoms. I mean bear market bottoms. So that's that's kind of what I base my sentiment and in, inclinations on or beliefs on.
2: Okay. Well, I'd like to add a few uh, bits to the bearish case here, um, and then we can talk about it some more. Um, Some things that I find very bearish, uh, in addition to what Eric's mentioned, uh, are that uh, volume has been quite weak on this rally. Um, The rally we've seen since July, and by the way, on GEI, we actually went long right at the low in July. We didn't stay long very for, for, for very many days but we actually went along and covered our shorts on the low uh, and then started uh, adding it started buying some puts a bit too soon and indeed I added to my puts uh, late last week um, in a meaningful way. Uh, I didn't mention on my website um, because I didn't want uh, to inspire too many uh, you know copycat shorting on by people. I wanted to get through these numbers first. But I'm firmly bearish right now, and uh, in addition to that volume reason, uh, another reason is that some of the indicators that tend to be good at um, leading the market, such as the SMH, the Semiconductor Holders ETF, um, turned bearish last week, in the middle of last week, and have turned down. And other stocks like J.P. Morgan Chase and some of the bank stocks have appeared to start rolling over. Uh, Another thing I'd like to add, which we talked a lot about on GEI, is something called the cardinal climax. And I won't go into great detail what that is, but in a few words, um, that's actually a conjunction of planets um, where uh, at the moment we have a number of planets that are either in the same part of the sky or at right angles to each other. And this particular formation is very rare. It probably hasn't been seen quite this way for something like, Ten thousand years, and uh, those who follow astrology believe that it's quite a bearish formation. And I've been looking closely into this because, um, you know, most of the planets had lined up for this formation about a week ago, and that coincided, by the way, with the solar flares, the uh, coronal mass ejection event, which uh, some of you may know about. Which, uh, if it hasn't affected the markets, it's <laughs> added a lot to the uh, northern lights. But the, the last element of that formation was the position of the moon, and that kind of fell into place, believe it or not, on the 6th of August, which was last Friday when the, the market got hit with this news. And if, if it follows the sort of astrologer's pattern, this week, the week starting today, Monday, uh, could be the beginning of a very big drop in the market. And if we see that, I think the astrologers, you can score one for them. Now, there's no guarantee we will. Uh, My experience with astrology is that it works incredibly well sometimes. But there are other times where it does nothing at all. And what we don't know yet is whether this is going to be one of those bullseyes or one of those big misses. But it is interesting for me to follow this uh, type of uh, astro cycles because they do occasionally give some excellent warnings. And we're into one of those periods where the astrologers would expect to see a big drop. Of course, I think many of you know that Elliott waves, um, the, some of the Elliott wave people, not all of them, are anticipating a third of thir- three. Um, in other words, the most powerful downward thrust in the market could be starting any day. And as Eric said before, um, this formation is such that we could get one more, more little rally up to 1130, maybe even 1146. Um, you know, but uh, that would be the end of it. And then we should see a big downthrust. And I find it quite interesting to see that some of these technical indicators, including the astro cycles, have lined up so well with the uh, with the fundamentals that Eric mentioned. So um, that's my view right now. I'm very bearish and looking for a drop this week, maybe a big one.
3: One more reason I'm not that bearish in that, I've been running these these charts of the secular bear market that we've been in since 2000 and comparing them to basically the three other secular bears that we had in, from 1920, 1900 to 1920, uh, 29 to 49, eight, and 66 to 82. And this most recent smash in the market in 2008, 2009, and subsequent rallies, actually most similar to the 1907 and 1974 periods, were actually followed by about two-year cyclical bull markets and in within those cyclical bull markets in each case there was a correction very similar to the correction that we just saw meaning a 10 to 15 percent drop in the market and then actually uh, a a rally which wasn't as strong as the initial rally to a higher high and if we were to continue and if you put a a, a chart of you know 2009 to the present and 1907 to 1908 it's, it, they, they track each other almost to the T. And that would actually mean we wouldn't get the top into the first or second quarter of next year. So that, like, And I really don't like to fight these patterns, even though you can always say the economic news is completely different, Is these things really do repeat each other in terms of history. Now, again, like I'm not a, a, a raving bull because I don't think that – if there is a second move higher, you're talking 12 to 1300 in the S&P. It's not going to be a gigantic move. But it, to me, it's also a reason why I'm not thinking that we're going to get this huge move lower as of now. Uh,
2: I'd like to, uh, to follow up a bit on that 1907 parallel, but I wonder if Eric has any comments at this point.
1: Yeah, why don't we go from a standpoint of looking at the case for a move up from here, because I think there is one. One is that Dave is right about the sentiment numbers. Uh, we do have plenty of room for a bounce off of the strongly bearish sentiment. Uh, the ECRI has just leveled off. The ECRI is the uh, Economic Cycles Research Institute uh, Weekly Leading Economic Indicators, and they've just been crashing for the last several weeks. They finally hit minus 10.7 uh, last week. And they're back up to a minus 10.3, which is a little bit of recovery. So we're seeing a level off there. Uh, and I think that also the, uh, the Fed is very strongly telegraphing its intention to consider some kind of quantitative easing version too. So more money printing from the government is another reason to anticipate a move higher in equities. I think all these things are coming together and contributing towards some pressure towards a move higher. I don't know how much longer that pressure is going to last. I really have no idea. Michael, you seem to be much more convinced than I am that this is the week for the Bears. I really don't feel that way. I think that there is going to be a major reversal to the downside coming, and whether it's this week or the end of this month, I'm really not sure. I, I do think, though, that I would be very surprised to see us make it all the way to October without a very large downside
2: move in the market. Eric, thanks for that. I'm going to have to stop for a very brief break, and I'll be right back. Thanks, Eric. Uh, back from break now, um, I'd like to follow up on that QE, QE2 uh, point, um, because uh, you know if, if the Fed does flood the markets, um, again, with liquidity, um... that could inspire another leg up in the rally um, my own view is that this could be politically very unpopular uh... quantitative easing and more stimulus could be very unpopular um, they've been unpopular so far a lot of people think that the stimulus programs haven't worked and what we've seen is a very interesting phenomenon this week where um, the the obama administration seems to be floating a trial balloon uh... in the markets about mortgage relief and uh, I think it's going to be very interesting to see um, how that reaction the reaction to that plan plays out now essentially what's happening is they're talking about uh, reducing interest rates on um, on all the mortgages and the second thing they're talking about is forgiving some of the debt um, and the problems with these uh, ideas are that someone's going to have to pay for that And ultimately, that's going to be the taxpayers. So a number of people see this as a potential transfer of wealth from people who've been prudent uh, to those who've been a bit reckless in buying homes and borrowing too much. So um, I do think it's going to be very interesting this week to see how those trial balloons are uh, are sort of you know the reactions to those trial balloons within the market. And, you know, that that could have something to do with whether we see a drop this week or, uh, or later in August or in September. Um,
1: yeah, I, would, I would certainly agree with that, Michael. I, I think it's going to be very, very interesting to see how the general public reacts to the introduction of the next phase. There's no doubt in my mind that the Fed wants more quantitative easing. Now, I think that there is a strong sentiment among the public, uh, the American public, that they don't want any more bailouts. So the question will be, can the Fed spin this in some way that makes people feel like it's not another bailout? I I would think they can. We'll see what they come up with. But if I were the Fed, what I would – and I'm I'm not saying this is good because I think that uh, it is another bailout, and I think it's the wrong thing for the country, and I think it's unfair to the responsible taxpayers. But – If I was trying to sell this to people, I'd say, no more bailouts. We're not going to bail out Main Street. The next bailout is for America and for the middle class, and we're going to do it by printing more money, which, of course, in effect, is really another bailout that helps the banks more than it helps the middle class. But I would expect the politicians to try to find a way to spin it to say, this one is for the people, not for the banks. And I think it's a question of whether they can pull the wool over people's eyes once again.
3: Um, I'd like to make a, like, uh, another comment, because we're talking about quantitative easing rates. Um, I think the problem we get to in the markets and psychology is everyone looks at the last crisis. You know, it's the old saying, the generals always fight the last war. And that's usually not the makeup of the next crisis. Like, for example, You know, in 1998, we had this emerging market crisis, and now emerging markets are actually, if anything, the things keeping the global economy afloat. And then in 2000, we had the tech bust, and real estate went up during that bust. So people thought real estate was a safe haven, and that was what busted in the next bust. And then the bond market, safe haven in the last bust, the real estate bust, and, you know, kind of financial crisis. So people are looking at it, safe haven now, thinking that, you know, if we have another crisis, again, give me a financial crisis. And I personally think that's erroneous in belief. I think that the next crisis is the government, you know, the sovereign debt crisis, which just saw uh, maybe a little warning of it happening in Europe. But I think it's going to happen in the United States because I don't care that they're the reserve currency of the world. At some point, you still have to adhere to economic rules, and you can't have a debt GDP or deficit of GDP of 11%. And if you've ever looked at any of the studies that any country that has run, uh, a deficit as a percentage of their GDP, meaning the boring as a percentage of the budget has been greater than say 35 to 40% a year for a couple of years straight, those countries have all, every single case has gone into extremely high levels of inflation or hyperinflation. So I would think that anyone looking at, like, quantitative easing the banks and bailouts would look at the wrong thing. I don't think that's the nature of the next crisis. I think the next crisis is, you know, the government essentially going bust like Wall Street did. And that's why, just so you know, I'm not that bearish on equities because in an extremely high inflationary environment, which I think we will head into in the next two or three years, equities actually don't form that badly.
2: Well, that's an interesting point, Dave, and I was reading a draft of a book over the weekend. I think you know the one I mean. And uh, <laughs> There was a comment in there, um, I think, basically quoting uh, Niall Ferguson, that when, uh, gov- when uh, government debt uh, to GDP hits 350%, um, you're on the way to another Argentina that uh, confidence is about to disappear in that government. And that's where we are in the U.S. right now. So... I agree with you that the U.S. has to be very careful about now, um, now,
3: now. the question is: Do we have another round of kind of this deflationary trade and another mini crisis before that inflation ends? That's that's to me is the only the only kind of question because I think it all ends in really really bad inflation just because they can you know it, being reserve currencies, everyone you know, it's not like say Argentina who had debt priced in dollars, you know, in 2001, they have all their debt in U.S. dollars. And here's here's my final argument for the for the inflation camp is that um, one thing that Ferguson mentions in one of his books as well is that if you look at the makeup of European countries' debt, and by the way, this is, you know, I don't like the euro. This is why if you can look at the euro versus the dollar, the longer term, I'd be more positive on the euro. They learn from all their hyperinflations, and most European countries, have at least 50 to 60 percent of their debt structure ten years or longer the u.s. has roughly three-quarters to eighty percent of its debt in the two to seven year range plus all the debt new deficit so that essentially means that in the next seven years they're gonna have a ten to fifty to 15 dollar rollover in all this debt and at some point i think the only way they can actually issue it and pay it is by printing and that is why i've always thought that this would end in inflation in the end because they're not going to default on those debts because they don't have to. They can just print money and pay it off at a very devalued levels.
2: Well, let me express it, another view here about timing, um, which is that I don't see uh, massive uh, stimulus or QE to this side of the election uh, or this side of a crash, whichever comes first. Uh, I think that the Democrats would be, very, uh, would be taking a huge risk in trying to push for uh, – stimulus here even though it's being talked about um but i do think the threat of incumbents being uh, you know thrown out of office is, is quite a big one right now and it may prevent uh stimulus from happening as, as to qe2 which is a different story um i think the fed has to be very careful for all the reasons that dave has just mentioned and uh they too don't want to be seen to uh, do something that will uh have too much impact on the elections. Um, And, you know, I do think that if there is a stimulus or a QE2 program, it could affect the stock markets pretty quickly, but it won't really affect the general economy for many months. So, um, you know, is it going to save anything this side of the election? Um, Eric, maybe I can put that to you. I mean, is is there still time for the uh, Fed or Congress to do something that's going to have much impact, positive impact on the election?
1: Oh, I think they're going to try to do something. Let me just back up, though. Uh, I was very interested by Dave's comments, uh, particularly because what Dave just described is exactly the way I used to feel about this market. And I've changed my own thinking a little bit. I still believe that a highly inflationary outcome, for all the reasons that Dave cited, is where we're headed in the long run. Um, And it's interesting. You know, Chris Martinson had written up a piece recently which he called, Deflation is not on the menu. And I've changed my uh, opinion. I think deflation is on the menu, but it's an appetizer. I think that we do have another round of deflation ahead of us before we get to a strongly inflationary outcome. And the reason is that this is just a, an immensely huge monetary system, a financial system in the United States, and it's going to take a long time for this to play out. What we see is that uh, institutional money, is forced even in cases when the managers may not think it's the right idea, they have to buy treasuries in a lot of cases. They're not allowed to buy gold. They're not allowed to uh, consider as broad of a array of asset classes as individual investors can. And in many cases, they have to buy treasuries. So I think we're going to continue to see money moving into the U.S. dollar as a perceived safe haven. Excuse me, as a perceived safe haven investment as much as I think that's ludicrous. I mean, loaning money to an insolvent government for 30 years on an unsecured basis at 3% interest is crazy. But I think it's going to take another year or two before people wake up to the reality of that situation. As far as the, the QE2, uh, how big will it be and will it happen? I think that the Fed is going to continue to monetize, going to continue to print money as much as it thinks it can get away with without causing a major inflationary event, and I think that right now they're not at risk of causing very much inflation. I think they could get away with another big money printing. As much as it's bad for the economy and creates uh, tremendous inflation risk down the road, it's not going to have any huge impact right now. So I think they're going to try to do it, and I think that is going to come before the election. The big question is what the public reaction is to it. I think they were assuming that if they spun it with, hey, this is a bailout for all of America – then uh, people would support it, and I think they may find, as you suggested, Michael, that Americans have had enough of bailouts of every type and kind, and they'd like to get back to sound money.
2: Well, you know, it's 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 interesting that what you guys are talking about here is the the, the need that the U.S. has to roll over its debt and uh, the problem of uh, we have at the moment, which is confidence in the dollar is eroding. Uh, one thing that We've seen in the past, which I think you know isn't over yet. This this type of uh, behavior isn't over yet. Is a drop in stocks, a big drop in stocks, actually makes it easier for the U.S. to sell treasuries. So you know, a crash actually gives them a great chance to 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 raise a lot of money. And uh, I mean, at, at some point, I think that will reverse, and you know, money raising will will crash the stock market, and will they'll, they'll, they'll happen together. But at the moment. We're still seeing a dynamic where lower stocks mean higher bond prices and, yeah, and, and uh, if if you look higher dollar.
3: That's not been the norm. You know, like the you know, bonds and stocks usually historically, like in the 80s and 90s on the upside rallied together. And in the 70s, bond prices fell and rates went up as stocks went down. So I agree with you. At some point that is going to reverse and we're going to go back to the historical nor- norm where higher interest rates mean lower stock prices. But I just don't know when that's going to happen. And Eric mentioned one to two-year time frame. I think it's probable it happens within that time frame. But the question, again, that that's when the timing becomes difficult because we've seen this kind of this, this inverse trade. And you just don't know when it's going to end. And I do believe that when it ends, it will be like what happened in Greece. All of a sudden, rates will double and triple and quadruple in a six-month period. But the question is, is, is when that happens, and I, I don't know when that is going to happen.
2: Well, guys, I, I, unless you have another comment, what I'd like to do is take another brief break and then come back and talk about gold um, and commodities and, and some other markets. Okay, we're back um, now. I'd like to talk about the gold markets. Dave, do you want to kick us off?
3: Oh uh, yeah, th- this is again some uh, an area where Michael and I made disagree in the long term or short, short term but we agree in the long term and um, es- essentially uh, I think that we're in the seasonally kind of bottoming period right now and w- what I what I mean by that is if you look at gold seasonally August is usually a bottom and then you get a rally into the fall followed by another decline usually into about November before the move higher really starts and, um, and and that's kind of what I'm looking at occurring here. And I guess there could be one more drop in the, in the short term. But uh, it, I, I really like this kind of silent trading range we're in in gold. I actually drew a chart recently in my newsletter, and I showed these, these kind of areas where gold gets really quiet. It usually precedes actually an upside.
2: Okay. Okay. Um. Uh, You know, Dave, I think that we do disagree on the short term because, uh, you know, I I see a drop in the stock market uh, imminently and maybe a big one, and I think that might drag the gold price down to $1,100, perhaps a bit lower. Now, if we don't see that drop, then I agree with you. We may have seen the seasonal low already. Uh, Ideally, I think it would come in the second half of August, but there have been plenty of years where that uh, seasonal low has happened early August and even in July, so We're on the same page, um, you know, apart from the fact that I'm I'm seeing a a drop in stocks ahead. Eric, do you have some comments on gold?
1: I think I'm pretty much in the same camp that you are in, Michael. I think that gold is – I'm very bullish about gold in the long term. I agree with Dave's perspective that we're eventually headed towards a very highly inflationary outcome, perhaps after some deflation first. So I see in the long run that gold is, is definitely a bullish play. I uh, am out of the gold market right now, and I am anticipating a pullback, just as you are. I think as we see a whiff of deflation here uh, before QE2 kicks in, maybe we'll see a significant pullback below 1100 maybe not. I really don't know if the bottom is in yet or not, but I'm willing to uh, stay on the sidelines and give it a bit longer. And I would say that by uh, by Labor Day, I'll be back into the gold market. I, I think that this fall it's definitely headed up.
3: I don't... I think it's going to take off in the next month or two, right? I think that's actually kind of a time to pick the spots. And one thing I told my subscribers that if you get the HUI under 440 and especially towards the 400 area, you know, and under 400, if you get these dips like that, I would definitely look to take advantage of the weakness. But I'm definitely not chasing anything here.
2: Okay. And how about other commodities? Any opinions on oil or other major commodities?
3: Um. Well, one thing uh, I do, and this is where I let the charts tell me uh, the outlook sometimes, is I know we're talking a lot about deflation, but this is why actually I don't think we're going to get the deflationary move before an inflationary move, is if you look at the chart of, say, the CCI, which is a uh, commodities index, it actually just broke its January high and has formed a very, very nice kind of bottoming formation after pulling back over the first half of the year. So I actually think these commodities, and I know you can say that the stock market drops will be taken down with it, but just if I were to look at the chart for the CCI, ignore everything else that's going on in the world, but sometimes I find in my trading, that's what works me the best. You know, um, uh, Jim Dines has a saying that says, don't think, look. And sometimes when I have that feeling, um, especially commodities, um, I think it looks good. It looks like that after a short to intermediate term pullback, we could be in the midst of a big breakout here.
2: Now, two commodities that have been strong, and there's a third one I'd like to come to later, but two commodities that have been strong just recently uh, are copper and uh, the Baltic Dry Index, freight rates. And these commodities are typically associated with China. And China, as you know, has had a nice rally up since uh, June or July, late June or July. Um, in fact, perhaps led the US, uh, recent U.S. rally up as well. And at the moment, copper and uh, and, and the Baltic Dry Index are both rather strong. So um, that's something I'm watching. If I'm wrong about the bear drop here coming ahead, I'll probably see those commodities continue to show strength. Um, Eric, do you have any comments on copper or the Baltic Dry Index?
1: Well, I think we need to keep the Baltic Dry in context. The Baltic Dry has been crashing at unprecedented uh, rates over the last several months. I think that you may be referring to an uptick just recently during the same time frame that copper has turned up. Um, but the Baltic Dry for the last several months has been falling apart. It's, I think, well below 2,000 now, if I, if I remember correctly. Uh, my charts are not working this morning, so I don't have them on the screen.
2: Well, I'll be publishing a chart along with this interview, which uh, was on GEI. Actually, this morning I saw it, um, which shows a very powerful rally up um, along with copper and and China. And, you know, it is surprisingly sharp. I had uh, been under the same impression that, and in fact, if you do go back two or three years, you see a big slide in the BDI. But it's had a very nice bounce in recent weeks. And it just looks like it's hooking over, maybe, in the last day or two, it's starting to hook over. Uh, And that may be just a pause, or that may be the beginning of another descent. I mean, one thing, I mean, I used to be a shipping banker, so I have to say one thing about the Baltic Dry. There are a lot of ships on order, and there's going to be a huge number of ships coming into the market in the months to come. So perhaps the Baltic Dry is only going to have short-term rallies until those ship orders are uh, finished. And that's going to take- I
3: personally don't like that index just because I find it, well, it's a very coincident indicator. Like it crashed in 08, it peaked in like, you know, mid to 07 to mid 08. So I don't, I feel that if you're waiting for a turn in that, you have to, I think you use that as, as a real contrary play. that when it spikes up and everything looks good, ironically, that's when you want to sell. And when it's really low and everything looks bad, I don't know, again, that's when you want to buy. So I actually don't look at that from a trading standpoint of it telling me anything. Okay, yeah, maybe saying there's a weakness in the economy or big ship's coming on, but in terms of you're going to use that to play the market, you should almost use it as a contrarian rather than, you know, take what it's saying, you know, at, at face value.
2: Okay, well, thanks for that, and I'd like to turn to the last commodity here, and just as we're speaking, I'm watching on Bloomberg a headline that says, Russia chokes, wheat prices soar. I'm sure you guys must have some thoughts on uh, food prices and wheat prices in particular.
3: Um, Yeah, Uh, about 18 months ago, I was on BNN, and I recommended something called the RJA, which is the Rogers Agricultural Index. And I said at the time, trading at about $7, just over 8 now, that this was a long-term buy. That long-term, I was very very bullish on agricultural commodities. And they look to me like they're forming a long-term bottom here. But again, it's not something I'd want to chase after these huge moves. You know, wheat's moved up 90 90 to 100% in price since the June low. But as Mark Faber pointed out in his last letter, that June low was a 200-year inflation-adjusted low, so it's not like this is this gigantic move, it's a bounce-off an inflation-adjusted low, but I do believe that the long-term move for eggs, just like a lot of commodities, is higher, but we are so overbought in the short term, and I've seen certain individuals who I use as contrary indicators in the commodity market actually talking bullishly about the eggs, so I think we need to pull back before we start and continue this move higher.
2: Interesting. Eric, any thoughts on wheat?
1: Yeah, I think that, uh, well, obviously, the fires in Russia are really exacerbating the wheat problem, but I also think that, you know, wheat had hit a a, a really very strong technical bottom, uh, as Dave said. And I think that we're going to see, uh, again, echoing Dave's comments, a very strong upward move in all agricultural commodities. The big thing that's sort of on my mind about this is if we were to see an eruption of the Katla volcano, that's the big volcano in Iceland that's next door to the little one that's already erupted. Uh, historically, each time the little one has erupted, it's generally signaled an, uh, a forthcoming eruption of the big one. If Katla, the big one, erupts, it's going to decimate uh, the grain crops for the next two to three years. And with the trouble that we're already seeing with the fires in Russia, wheat prices would double or triple within a few days. And I think you'd be looking at a really serious uh, social repercussions in terms of food riots and food crises uh, globally as a result of that. So I think that the uh, risk associated with this volcano is something that people have really forgotten about in terms of its impact on the agricultural commodities.
3: Yeah, that's a great point, too, because not only that, if you had a big eruption, that would actually probably cause a cold winter, which would also have repercussions for natural gas prices moving up and that sort of thing as well. So, you know, if I'm writing kind of my stagflationary theme, that volcano is actually something that falls, you know, within the, the context of the trade.
2: Well, gentlemen, I think we've come to a good point to uh, start to wind this down. Uh, I'd like to ask uh, each of you if you have any final comments, uh, Eric.
3: No, I think we've covered it.
2: And uh, Dave, um, I don't could think you there's give us- much
3: more to say. You know, um, the only thing I would say again, because we're talking like bears and bulls and markets, is one interesting stat that just came across my desk was if you look at global trade. The emerging markets actually exports and imports have surpassed the 2008 high, and it's it's the emerged economies where the problems are actually lying in terms of like underlying economic fundamentals.
2: Okay, well, um, thanks for that, and I'd like to ask Dave, maybe you could uh, tell us, um, you know, how people can reach you and follow your work.
3: I write addictedtoprofits.net. I have a free version of the newsletter where you know. I throw out interviews at you such as these, or I throw out um, uh, you know a, a, just a basic you know kind of sampling of my work, and then you can decide if you'd like to purchase it from that. And I also write a blog for moneynews.com that comes out every Wednesday.
2: Okay, and I th- you have a book on the way too. Can you mention the name of that title? Yeah,
3: I, I have a book, uh, the, 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 uh, the Great Cycle. It's about um, it's about like it's published by Wiley. It's about um, uh, economic cycles and, and all that sort of thing. A lot of the things we talk about here in terms of these cycles in the markets all repeat each other. Er, so that will be out in November. And again, if you just want to sample my newsletter for the next few months, I'll probably do a, a, some kind of trial at that time where you can get a book thrown in with a, you know a, a subscription to the newsletter.
2: Well, I can vouch for it. I've been looking at it, parts of it, over the weekend. and It's got loads of information on the debt crisis and how we got into it and uh, why we're headed towards hyperinflation. So it is is, is going to be a good read. Uh, Eric, uh, how can people reach you?
1: Uh, I don't have anything to promote, so I don't have a newsletter or anything. I do write uh, articles occasionally for Financial Sense, so you can find my author's page on uh, financialsense.com.
2: Okay, thanks, guys. And uh, I'll just close by saying that There will be a thread about this podcast on global edge investors and uh, we'll probably throw some charts up as well. So uh, we're looking forward to the next opportunity to talk to you guys again, possibly next month. Um, Thank you very much.
0: Bulls and Bears is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com? That's globaledgeinvestors.com. To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at Dominic or simply subscribe through iTunes.